You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. So our text today is taken from various Proverbs listed in your bulletin. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we are continuing our series in the book of Proverbs, looking at what it means to live a wise life. And what the Proverbs assume, and will continue to reiterate, is that training in wisdom, the primary place that training in wisdom is going to occur is going to be in the home. You cannot outsource the responsibility of raising wise children. That's your job. I remember uh, having coffee with another father years ago, and he was telling me honestly about some of his concerns. He was afraid of incorporating Christian faith into his parenting, and specifically he was hesitant about bringing his young children to church. And he shared a fear that is not all that uncommon, actually. His fear was that he would be guilty of indoctrinating his children. And so I reminded him of two things. Number one, the meaning of indoctrinate in and of itself isn't necessarily bad. It means to instill values. It's bad when you're instilling bad values. And it's good if you're instilling good values. But number two, what I told him is that your child is already being indoctrinated every single day on your watch. You've already signed off on it. The school that they go to, the cartoons that they watch on the streaming network you pay for and gave them the remote for, uh, the family members that you allow in the home, the friends that you have vetted, the way that you speak, the way that you spend, the way that you relate to their mother, all of it, every influence, whether direct or indirect, is shaping their beliefs about God, about life, about what values should be lived into, certain behaviors, ways of responding to circumstances, and so on and so forth. Your children are already being indoctrinated. It's already happening. Within sociology, there is a term called agents of socialization. It means that there are groups or people groups that form our ideas, beliefs, behaviors, the way that we think and the way that we relate to others from our earliest years. As we get older, that list of agents of socialization grows. It involves friends, teachers, social media, institutes, co-workers, spouses or partners, and so on. But hands down, Still to this day, the group that has the most significant impact on who a person is and what kind of person that person will become still is the family. The family is the primary agent of socialization for better or for worse. And so this is why it is so important that we understand what the Bible says 
and how the Bible describes our unique role as parents, specifically what it means to raise wise children in the Lord. Now, before I go too far, I want to mention some of my experience and ultimately a lot of my limitations as a parent. My oldest son was born six weeks before I turned 20. So if you're keeping track, that means I started as a parent as a teenage dad. I did not go into parenting prepared to take on this thing in a godly way. I had no idea what I was doing. And I love my parents, and I respect my parents, but both Michelle and I came from broken homes, torn by divorce, which is just not a helpful tool for success. And much of what we have learned in parenting, we have learned on the fly, like changing a tire as the car is rolling. And I wrote in my oldest son's birthday card this last year, like, in a lot of ways, we grew up together. Like, we, we've, we've passed through decades together now. We're, we're in this together. And parenting has been a long trial and error, but one that I believe has kindly come under God's grace. There has been a lot of failure, and I mean a lot of failure, but there's also evidences of redemption, clear evidences of God's grace. And so Michelle and I are in the process of raising five kids, four of which are currently teenagers, I'm painfully close to having an adult child. I have nearly 18 years of experience in what not to do, and maybe a few tidbits in what to do. But I believe really the best thing that I can steward and give to you as a pastor and as a father is the wisdom that comes to us from God's word, and specifically from the Proverbs. So here's where I want to begin today, if you're taking notes. We've got a lot to cover, but where we'll begin is with this point, the calling of parenting. Parenting is a calling. Now, we think of calling in terms of some tremendous opportunity that comes in terms of like our career or in foreign missions, going and doing something extraordinary because we have this really unique skill set that sets us apart from most people. But the reality is that parenting is one of the most significant callings a human being can experience. In those overlooked moments, in all of those moments of thankless responsibility where no one sees, and you feel like you're a doormat, and you're like, what am I doing with my life? You are doing God's work. You are living in to an extraordinary calling from God. Man, you gave uh, Pastor Glenn Shields all the amens last week, didn't you? I knew that was going to happen. I was like, that, there's no way to follow that. I might as well just talk about parenting. Because parenting is a calling, and by calling I mean a unique role and responsibility given to us by God, it's not something that we are intended to define or figure out for ourselves. It is not something where we sort of scour the world trying to piece together best practices to form our parenting technique. It's really interesting all of the places that we look for parenting guidance and how often we as Christians ignore the very source of wisdom for parenting. 
And when we think of parenting styles, when we think of our roles as parents, what kind of parents we want to be, what kind of parenting techniques we want to adopt in our families, typically we think in sort of binary terms of traditional parenting and contemporary parenting. Now this is probably going to be an oversimplification, but when I talk about traditional parenting, I am talking about old school, super strict, all control, no freedom, it's all about respect, it is motivated by fear and punishment and consequences, so you have traditional parenting, and then you have contemporary parenting on the other side, which is essentially the complete opposite, it's an overreaction, it's infinite affirmation, it's abundant freedom, it's very little boundaries, it's let your children be who your children want to be, it's let your children lead this process, it's all about self-discovery, and really what's at the heart of contemporary parenting is a parent's fear that they're going to get in the way of their child becoming the person that they ought to be. And if you think about it, it is really unfortunate that we as parents think that those are our two only options to choose from. Like, those are our options. Mean and strict, or like, total, absolute freedom, do whatever you want. The best of what the world had to offer us in the past, or the best of what the world has to offer us in the present. Fortunately, the Proverbs provide an entirely different category. And what the Bible envisions is parents being called by God to shepherd their children in the challenging yet rewarding process of spiritual formation and social development, which is going to involve a balance of authority and affirmation. It's going to include discipline and joyful delight. There's going to be clear boundaries, but there's also going to be freedom. And the Bible describes parents as instruments in the Redeemer's hands intended to build up and to shape young people who love God and live wisely in the world. Look with me again in chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Now, I understand that right now, even in a room like this, there are people parenting in less than ideal circumstances. There are single parents. There are people who are co-parenting because of divorce. There are people that are parenting alone because of extraordinary circumstances like death or a spouse being debilitated or even a spouse being deployed overseas. And I understand that there are a variety of parenting situations. And I believe wholeheartedly that God's kindness and strength can be found in the toughest parenting situations. And I want to mention that, and I don't want you, if that means you, to feel excluded today. But what I do want to do is focus on the vision that is being presented here in chapter one. And what we see is a picture of a child receiving godly direction from both father and mother in a way that is both balanced and beautiful. Both the father and the mother bringing their distinct roles, their unique gifts, their diverse experiences together to shape their children. It involves teaching the difference between right and wrong, righteousness, unrighteousness, wisdom, and foolishness, sin, 
and righteousness. But this, as we look at this list here, there, there are two distinct words that I want us to pay attention to. The first is teaching. The word in the uh, Hebrew, the original language, is Torah. So maybe that, that name or that word sounds familiar. It's what Hebrews would call the first five books of the Bible, the law of God. So this involves spiritual guidance, teaching your children the word of God, how to pray, what it looks like to worship, how to live generously, how to live and participate in the religious life of the community of God. But it also involves practical guidance, that word there, instruction. This is just practical guidance in life. How to balance a checkbook, or that's not even a thing anymore. How to be financially responsible. How to navigate relationships. How to choose friends wisely. Sex education. Proper use of technology. How to check your oil so your engine doesn't blow up. I mean, on and on and on. And what I love about this passage is that it shatters some stereo, some stubborn stereotypes that exist in the world, but even in the church today. One stereotype is this, that it's mom that's the spiritual pillar of the family, and dad is just this sort of like goofball, you know, he's around, he's present once in a while, he'll like, he's out there throwing the ball with the kids, and he'll take them to do fun stuff once in a while, but it's the mom who has the important conversations about life and God. Or, on the opposite side of the spectrum, the scenario that says that it's the man of the house that should be talking theology. It's the man of the house that has serious conversations with their kids about God and life. Moms, moms are there to nurture. Moms are there to comfort. Moms are there to look pretty. But the dads, the dads are the ones who have the important conversations about God and life. Did any of these sound familiar? But throughout the Proverbs, the spiritual and social development of children is pictured as a partnership involving both man and woman, husband and wife. It is a shared calling. We see the father instructing. We see the mother teaching. And, and don't overlook the fact that even in this verse, what's happening is that the father is reinforcing the teaching of the mother. Did you catch that? Do not forsake the teaching of your mother. You better listen to your mom. You better listen to what she's saying. So the father is supporting the mother's calling and vice versa. The mother is supporting the father's calling. This kind of unity is key in parenting and nothing is more confusing to children than parents that undermine each other's calling. Nothing is more confusing. Mutual support and respect between mom and dad is then what fosters respect from your children. If you are seeing a lack of respect from your kids, it may be a sign that there's a lack of respect in your marriage. They're picking up something from you. Michelle and I identified really early on in our parenting that our priority was going to be our unity. We tell our kids all the time, I love your mom more than I love you. Is anyone paying attention this morning? Like, <laughs> Glenn got all the amens for like 2023. But I, I, I tell our kids, like, we, we, our priority is each other so that we can better love you. There'll be so many times where like Michelle and I, are, this happens later when your kids are teenagers, but Michelle and I are walking out the door and the kids are like, where are you going? And we're like, we're just going on a date. And they're like, without us? And we're like, yeah, absolutely without you. 
Because the best way that we're going to love you is by loving each other. The best way we're going to lean into our calling in parenting is by supporting each other in that. Now, that doesn't mean that we agree on everything. And if we could be honest, a number of our disagreements have been in the area of parenting. Yeah. (laughs) And it doesn't mean that we contribute all the same ways. But it means that we are parenting together. We are supporting each other in our calling, and we are remaining unified in our vision. And so on this first point, here's my encourage to you. It's not even necessarily a parenting tip. The best way you can be a parent is to encourage and support your spouse in their role. Reinforce what they are speaking into your kids. Reinforce their role in your kid's life. Honor them in front of your kids. Respect them in front of your kids. Build them up in front of your kids, because guess what? Your kids will follow. Kids will follow. Secondly, we'll look at the culture of a home. The culture of a home. Chapter 14, verse 26. In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a what? A refuge. There's a beautiful connection here. The one who fears the Lord has a strong confidence in God is creating a refuge for his child her child. So parenting is not just the lessons that we are teaching our children, but also includes the environment that we are fostering for them. It includes the culture of our home, which when I mean culture, what I mean is like the vibe of our home, the the tone, the values, the unspoken ways that we do things around here, the priorities, the emotional temperature, the felt Experience. I remember that quote by Maya Angelou who said, people may forget what you told them, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. And this is true in parenting as well. Yeah, we need to care about what we are telling our kids, but we also must care deeply about their felt experience in the home that we are raising them in. And if I could be honest, I have learned the hard way that we can say one thing about God And then we can demonstrate and cultivate something entirely different in the home. We can be faithful to instruct our children in the truths of who God is. God is so loving. He is so great. He is so kind. He is so gentle. He is so righteous. And yet we can demonstrate harshness. And we can demonstrate and cultivate grudges and bitterness and cynicism, godlessness and hopelessness. We can tell our kids, guys, God is so powerful. There's nothing that he cannot do. He's so wonderful. He's so faithful. And yet, if our home is lacking prayer, what we demonstrate to our kids is that God is weak. He's distant. He's distant. He's aloof, and he may not even be there. He may not care all that much. And we can tell our children the difference between what is right and wrong and righteous and sinful, and yet we can model compromise. We can cultivate apathy. We can trivialize sin, or even, sadly, we can celebrate sin. There's the old adage, I'm sure we all heard it growing up, do as I say, not as I do. The reality is, though, that's dumb. Kids are just going to do what you do. Kids are just going to do what you do, and probably in an amplified way. They'll do what you do ten times, or times ten. And so we can't expect any more wisdom obedience, or delight in the Lord from our children 
than what we demonstrate for them. The Proverbs describe a person or a parent who fears the Lord. This means a life-gripping awe and reverence for God that changes everything in our lives. And what it describes is that the more confidence in the Lord that a parent experiences, the more refuge their children will experience. The home becomes an emotional and spiritual safe haven where children can grow and live and learn and ask questions and wrestle and listen, even fail in an atmosphere that is safe. Now, I don't mean zero consequences. I remember we all had those friends growing up where the parents were like, I want to make sure that they're safe and not like out drinking and partying somewhere else. So I'm going to open up my home so I can make sure I have like, you know, the reins on it. I'm not talking about that kind of safe. There's still consequences, right? You're hearing me right, right? But safe, emotionally safe. We lock our doors. We set up our ring cams and our alarm systems. Uh, we set up parental blocks on you know, the streaming networks, hopefully. We, we monitor our kids' tech use and phone use and all these different boundaries. But the primary way that we create a place of refuge and the primary way that we as parents fight for their future is through our pursuit of God. By showing our children their need in our need for someone that is stronger than us. Every parent knows that there's this like short, short little window where your kids think that you are the greatest person on earth. It's like quick and then gone, right? Then they're unimpressed. But there's that split second moment where like mom is the smartest person in the world. Dad's the fastest person in the world. They're the best. And then that wanes. And it's cute. But listen to me. The confidence that our kids need most is not confidence in us. Don't make promises to them that you can't keep. Mom and dad will never let anything bad happen to you. Can you really keep that promise? The confidence that they need most is not in us because we're going to fail them and we're going to let them down more times than you can count. And parents of young children, just wait. Just wait. What they need to hear and experience is the strength of the Lord. His strength, his presence, his mighty and outstretched arm. They need to know not about how impressive we are. They need to know about our shared need for God's grace, his protection, his rescue from our sins, his provision in our lives, let me reiterate this. Parents, the best thing that you can offer your children, and I mean this, I'm not being exaggerative, the best thing that you can offer your children is your own humble, trusting confidence in God. And the more that you pursue the Lord in humility and honesty, don't front in front of your kids, they can see through that. And the more that you model dependence and joy the freer and freer your home's going to become. The goodness of God will not just be heard, it'll be felt. 
Uh, there's a story about the late Eugene Peterson that his, one of his adult children, I believe, told at his funeral. And it came from earlier in his life when he was a young dad and a pastor. One of his children, his boys, woke up real early one morning, snuck downstairs, and came to his father's study, and he saw the door cracked. And he shared that he peeked through as if he was sort of eavesdropping on a moment. And what he saw, he said, I'll never forget, I saw my dad on his knees, just passionately and intently praying. And he said that it, he almost felt um, wrong, like he had stumbled into a sacred moment that he wasn't intended to witness. But he said it shaped his view of his dad for the rest of his life because he'd heard all of his dad's messages. He was a preacher. He knew what his dad thought and believed and spoke about God. But this was the moment when he saw his father on his knees that he felt it. He felt it in his bones in a life-changing way. And so the question I want to ask you is, what is the culture of our homes that our children are experiencing right now? What's the feel? What's the vibe? What are the unspoken values? What are the priorities? What are the things that fill our calendar? What's the emotional temperature, the culture of a home? Thirdly, we see here the course that is set early. Now, before I read this next passage, I want to remind you that the Proverbs are not necessarily promises for success. They are principles that describe the outcomes that will generally come as a result of a wise life and wise decisions. And you know what verse I'm going to read now because it's probably the most famous parenting proverb out there. Proverbs 22, verse 6. Train up a child in the way that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. You see why it's important that we understand that these are not promises but principles? I think the, the, the people here with adult children would, would, uh, would understand what I mean by this. Now, training is an appropriate word, but actually the word here in the original language is a navigational term. If you have the NIV, uh, it reads like this. Start children off in the way that they should go. Or if you have the NLT, it says, direct your children on the right path. So parenting is being described as setting a course or a trajectory for your child early. And the reason is that because the direction that your child begins with will significantly shape the direction that they go in adult years. There's an author named James Clear who illustrates this in a book, uh, I think it was called Atomic Habits. And he shares an illustration. He says, say you take off from LAX and fly to New York City. And then he says this, imagine that it, at LAX you're headed towards New York City, but the pilot turns or adjusts the heading 3.5 degrees. And just that slight 3.5 degrees change will mean the difference between landing in New York City and landing in Washington, D.C. instead. Such a small change is barely noticeable at takeoff. The nose of the airplane is moved just a few feet but when magnified across the United States, it ends up being 225 miles apart. And what he says is this, a very small shift in direction can lead to a very meaningful change in destination. Slight, overlooked, day-to-day -day changes can guide the very 
to guide to a very different destination. And then what he says, I want to apply to parenting here. He says this, you should be far more concerned with your current trajectory than your current results. Are we able to put that up? You should be far, if you're taking notes, I, I, I want you to take this down. You should be far more concerned with your current trajectory, what direction you are pointing in your parenting than your current results. Hear me clearly. Parenting is not ultimately about the current results that you're seeing right now. If you are judging the effectiveness of your parenting based on the current results that you are seeing right now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say that you're probably pretty discouraged. And you're probably embarrassed all the time. And you're probably really reluctant to go in public. And you're probably really reluctant to have people come over to your home. And you're probably wanting to isolate your kids from any public settings. And you're probably ready to give up. Parenting, however, is about playing the long game. Parenting is about the process. And we know this from our own lives. Change takes a long time. Change is a process. It is a long movement in the same direction, one foot in front of another. Paul Tripp, in his parenting book, he says this, you cannot look for a dramatic transformational conclusion to your encounters with your children. Seldom has change been the result of a dramatic moment. So, you have partial conversations and unfinished moments. We'll, we'll have this conversation later, I guess. But in each moment, listen to this, you are imparting wisdom to your child. Each moment, you are exposing your child's heart. Each moment, you are building your child's self-awareness. Each moment, you're enlivening your child's conscience. Each moment, you're giving your child great God-awareness. Each moment, you are constructing a biblical worldview for your child. And each moment, you are giving the Spirit of God an opportunity to do things in and for your child that you cannot do. Each moment. Stop judging the success of your parenting by isolated moments and results. Take the long view. Take the long view or your parenting will be miserable. Amen? Okay, well, I knew this was going to be difficult today, but not this difficult. What I've also found is that without this kind of trajectory, what we are destined to do in our parenting is to constantly be reactionary. If you don't have a vision of where your parenting is going, you're going to be left day by day simply responding to bad behavior, and that is it. And it is much easier, I know this from experience, much easier and much more natural to point out when your kids are doing something that they shouldn't do. That's easy parenting. Don't do that. Stop doing that. That's dumb. Why would you do that? Stop doing that. Stop doing that. Stop doing that. It requires far more intentionality and far more thoughtfulness to help direct them in what is actually expected of them. That's easy parenting. Don't do that. Where it's challenging, where it requires the grace of God in our lives, is giving them a vision of what you are expecting of them. Our kids need so much more than a list of things that they shouldn't be doing. Just like God our Father knows that we need more than just a list of do's and don'ts. 
This is the difference between the law and the gospel. The difference between I do this and I avoid these things to be in my Father's good graces versus the gospel, what God has done in Christ Jesus for us, that we are justified through Jesus, that we are accepted and approved through what he has done, not the sins that we have avoided. We may believe that, though. I mean, we're a gospel-centered church. It's in our confessions. We talk about it every time we gather. We may believe that we are accepted and approved, not based on our behavior, but through faith in Jesus Christ. But it is very easy to forget the gospel in our parenting, and it is very easy to revert back to law in our parenting. Well, thou shall not, and thou shall not, and thou shall not, and thou shall not. A little while back, um, I had to sit down with one of my kids and apologize for how I had really been focused on negative behavior, been reactionary and responding to negative behavior, but I had not yet really helped them develop a vision of what they ought to become. And so this was not a a complex uh, process. We sat down together and we formed a vision statement. And I let them write it in their own handwriting. And I let them shape it in their own words. And it's very simple. It says, the person I want to become, honest, reliable, trustworthy, a good communicator, helpful, loving, sacrificial. And as I looked through those words, I was like, those are just synonyms for the fruit of the Holy Spirit. I'm actually seeing the Spirit of God working through this process. And what this helps us as parents do is not spend our time trying to catch them doing bad. It refocuses our attention so that we can catch them doing good, doing the things that they ought to be doing, to point out areas of growth, to encourage our children to be vision-driven instead of consequence avoidant, to have a vision for what they want to be, to start to think and develop what Christ-like character may look like in their life, to begin to envision what things they can do now in their earliest years as kids to invest and cultivate the men and women that they are going to become one day. And here's what it does for us as parents. It helps direct our prayers. You ever been in that moment where you're like, I don't even know how to pray for my kids right now. They're just cutting it up. Just wilding out. They're just like doing things that are like, I didn't know a kid was capable of doing that. And I don't, I don't even know how to pray for you. I don't even want to pray for you right now. Sorry, kids. There's, those sometimes happen. This shows us how we pray. We're praying into the vision of the man and woman that they are becoming. And even if in adulthood our kids live, think, believe, and act different than the way that we'd hoped for, And the more kids you have, statistically, that may happen. But they will still have a very particular moral compass, and they will have a theological foundation that, Lord willing, they can fall back onto when they realize that a life of sin and rebellion is empty and foolish. I think about the parable of the prodigal son. And like in our kids' lives, there will be seasons where they are far from home, And there will be seasons when they're living in brokenness and heartache and pain. But like in the parable of the prodigal son, when they finally see the emptiness of that kind of life, they're going to know the way home. 
they're going to know where they can return to. And they're going to know who's going to be waiting for them. Amen? Oh, man, gosh, I've got to cut some stuff now. Well, I just expect you guys are great parents. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. Um, the correction that is necessary. Chapter 29, verse 17. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give you delight. Give delight to your heart. There are debates about what the proper method of correction is. And if you've been reading through the Proverbs, you read about the rod. <laughs> and so I'm just going to say this. This does include the possibility, and I'm going to read this so I don't screw this up and I don't get a lawsuit. So this does include the possibility of a form of physical punishment that is not abusive, enraged, or vengeful, but is thoughtful and patient. Also, there are many other methods of correction as well. Forms of consequences and forms of discipline. However, what is not up for debate is that children need correction. Your kids need correction. Your child is a gift from God. They need to be loved. They need to be cared for. They need to be protected. They need to be cherished. But please do not fool yourself. They require correction. They need clear and consistent discipline that you are spearheading. None of this child-led discipline nonsense. It's not their calling to parent them. It's your calling to parent them. It is a parent-led, Holy Spirit-directed process that we are consistent in. Don't give up in doing good. Do not grow weary, for in due season you will reap. Good days are coming. The Bible says in Proverbs 22, folly is bound up in the heart of a child. So look deep within that little bundle of joy that is so stinking cute and could do no wrong, and you're going to find what the Bible describes as a rat's nest of foolishness. An absolute rat's nest of foolishness. And the only way to untangle it is through discipline. Our kids, just like us, are born into sin. We have rebellion, inordinate desires. We have hunger for control and manipulation. That doesn't come later in life. Your kids know how to manipulate you before they say, Mama, Dada. They got you wrapped around their finger. They're playing you like a fiddle. Sin and foolishness is there in seed form day one and must be lovingly uprooted. Now, I know as a parent, we're going to struggle to think, like, is this actually loving? I can't tell you how many times in discipline where I'm like, am I doing the right thing? Because if we judge whether or not we're doing the right thing by our child's immediate reaction, we will never discipline. Our kids will be like, you hate me. You're like, you're right, I shouldn't do that, Okay. We don't want to stifle their sense of independence. We don't want to discourage them. It is painful for them and for us. But according to the Bible, the least loving thing to do for your child, the least loving thing is to withhold discipline from them. In fact, in Proverbs 13, 24, it goes, to far, goes as far as to say that the one who withholds discipline hates their child. Hates. And the one who disciplines their child loves them. 
Listen to how the New Testament describes it. For the, child, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which we've all participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best for them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share in his holiness. For the, at the moment, or for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceable fruit, or the peaceful root of fruit of righteousness to those who've been trained by it. That was a mouthful, but did you catch all that? Fruitful days are coming. Fruitful days are coming. I see a lot of parents that are stressed, overwhelmed, embarrassed, not able to function in public places. And while I understand that some children are just more challenging in parenting, we've seen the gamut. And I understand that some children are just less adapted to certain places. But I think a lot of the stress and the chaos that we as parents experience is because of lack of discipline. Just lack of discipline. It's not wrong to desire joy and flourishing and freedom in your parenting. It's right. But you're bringing it upon yourself if you're not disciplining them. And God desires for your relationship with your kids to be marked by nothing less than peace and joy. And he is graciously telling you how you can cultivate that now in their earliest years. I want to end with this final point, which is like key to all of this for us. And it's the children that we are. In all of our desires, in all of our attempts to be good parents, to raise wise children, we have to remember who we first are. That before we're parents, before we're this, before we're that, our primary identity, for those who have trusted and surrendered their lives to Jesus Christ, our primary identity first is children. And we never outgrow that. The New Testament tells us this in 1 John chapter 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. The most effective way to parent today. The most effective way to lead and shepherd your children is by remembering that you yourself are a child of God, that you are loved by God, that you are cared for by God, that you are redeemed by God, that you are being held by God, that you are being transformed by God, that you are in the process of being purified by God by remembering his patience with you, by remembering his lasting commitment to you, by remembering all that he has sacrificed for you. 
And by remembering that ultimately the parable of the prodigal son is not about our wayward children. It's about our wayward hearts. And God the Father who welcomes us and receives us through his son, Jesus Christ. And we are encouraged to do this, John says, as we consider the manner of love with which God has loved us with. For every look at parenting, for every moment right now where you may even be overwhelmed with all the failure, all the wish I would have done that and I wish I would have done this differently, for every look at self and parenting and failure, I want to encourage you to take 10 looks at the love of God in Jesus Christ. Consider this love. Consider this identity that is never fading, never failing, never going away. Consider that you are now and forever a child of God. Amen? Let's pray. Hoo-wee. All right. Well, God, I'm just...